Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. One, two, three. <laughs> that was a trick one. I know you weren't in time with either of them, though. No, neither of them. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to chapter twenty-four of the Corona Diaries. And and do you know what? We've just we just recorded a little bit of video for all the purples to say thanks for getting us to twenty-five. And I've just realised we're only on twenty-four. <laughs> it is only twenty-four today, isn't it? No. Is it twenty-five? I think so. Oh, hang on, let Didn't me check. I send you 24 the other day. You did, it is 25. It is In 25. which case, well, forget I said all that. Yeah. You, you haven't heard it. And, and just imagine you're starting to hear from this point now. Hello, and welcome to chapter 25 of the Corona Diaries. You've been working with me too long. I have. Trouble. I have. I it's have. All it's all going, away, it's all going ever so wrong. Um, and. Um, and who'd have thought we'd have got to 25? I know we keep saying it, but 25, that's a proper number. That's a jubilee, isn't it? Yes, it's a silver wedding. It's a silver something. <laughs> a silver, yes, we've done well. Anyway, thanks everybody for helping us get this far. Um, I think I might draw myself a cake. I, th- I think you should. Mm. Send yourself a card. Yes. Don't send, it, don't send it by the mail. It's quicker to send it down the drain. <laughs> That will mean something to purple people, but not to anybody else. But that's fine. We, we don't do many in-jokes. So, um, to start with, because there's been a little bit of Pink Floyd backlash, oh. um, the Pink Floyd track that sounds like the release apparently is called Take It Back. Oh, OK. And that's... it's from the Division Bell album. Right. That sounds about... Yes, correct. Uh, correct. And I listened to it, and I'd never heard it before, but you're right, it does sound like the release. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I haven't heard that since then, but I remember hearing it on the radio, thinking, "Aye, aye, hang on uh, well, a minute, hang on, hang on a mo, yeah. hang on a mo." And and Leanne, um, Leanne told us it was her other half, who's a Pink Floyd fan, who came back and said, "It's take it back." Confirmed, it was take it back. So thanks to <laughs> thanks to him for doing that. He said, "He said, but weren't you ripping you too off, didn't he?" <laughs> he did. He did. Cheeky bugger. I know, I know these Pink Floyd fans get a bit defensive, don't they? Well, I wasn't ripping you two off, but Rothers might have been. Oh, outrageous comment. Mm. Oh, sorry, Out, did I say out, that? Outrageous comment. How I could mean, you suggest Steve Rothery is ripping off Dave Gilmore? To be How fun- could you possibly do that? <laughs> 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 no comment. Well, no comment. No All right, comment. Okay. But I wish I had a five for every time I've walked in a racket club and he's been going down, 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 <laughs> quietly to himself in the corner. <laughs> Surely not. Surely he doesn't shine on like a crazy diamond whenever he gets the chance. 
No further comments, my lord. No, okay, we'll leave that. We'll leave that one. We'll leave that long. We love you, Steve. We love you, Steve. Um, right. So that's that's. But if you do get a chance to listen to "Take It Back" from the Division Bell, side to side with the release. Oh, by the way, momentum seems to be growing about the re- release. The release yeah, was the I saw uh, that. was there the comment. Was, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what I can do with that apart from get frustrated because there, there's. I mean, there's no way if I spoke to the yeah. band. They'd all just go, duh, you know, and that would be all I'd get. You could link it into COVID and and as a kind of a, the release being the end of the COVID thing. So it's a positive story about the end of COVID oh. and spin it that way. Oh. Not going to work though, is it? No. No, okay. I think it would take, you know, the Black Death at least. <laughs> <laughs> or... All of the various plagues put together. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, um, was, um, you know, someone coming over the channel with elephants or something. <laughs> How'd you get over the channel with elephants? <laughs> Tricky. Yeah, it's a load of pet passports, that. Right. Yeah, you need a, a ferry. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway. You'd probably get them in the old Euro tunnel, wouldn't you? You'd get them on the uh, train. Well, you're all right, provided they didn't want to turn around. Yeah. A bit whiffy by the time they got to Dover, but there we are. What was the... It'd be the scene at the, at the end of... It'd be that scene in Dumbo with them all marching through, all linked together, and Dumbo at the back. Right. Coming through the uh, Channel Tunnel and then hitting 7,000 trucks as they land in Kent. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. All the aim of our patrol. <laughs> da, 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 da. They could sing that song. On the way through. Um, military goal. Yeah. You pinged me an email. You pinged me an email from Linda Allen. (laughs) Did I? You did. You did. And she was trying to work out why... So a couple of episodes ago, I had a cold. I I operated in a slightly lower register. Oh, that was it. And and we happened to put out on the notes that I was sounding a little Barry Uh White-esque. And apparently it made Linda shudder. Mm. Because years ago, she had a boyfriend whose mum had got sort of um, mental health uh, issues. And her mum had, uh, this, this boyfriend's mum had rung her up one day and said that, um, th- that Barry White had got her pregnant. Right. Which, was, which obviously is what made Linda shudder. But then you sent me an email and said, wasn't you, was it? Which I thought was a bit outrageous. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's all right. I'm I did smile at the time. I don't really have any laugh. I, no, I, I did mean, smile. as John Helmer once said, maybe a paranoid... Is just someone in full possession of the facts. Ah, and that's a good like line, to, John. Just like to leave that, put that out there, and I, I, I either I either say that or it passes through my mind most days <laughs> for some <laughs> reason or other. <laughs> right. So, it's fair to be said. It's fair to say that there's been an incredible response to Pascal Chauvet. Pascal. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> he is very busy at the moment. <laughs> he he's in he's stuck in the office. He cannot possibly come to the hotel. He will come tonight with a dodgy girl and a lot of drugs and take you out. So there's there's been a huge response to Pascal. Um but that that, that got me and you talking about uh other Promo guys that you'd worked with. Independent promo people. Independent promo Yes, because back in the days of EMI, 
uh, they would always have people in house who would come and babysit us through interviews and point us in the right direction of journalists. And um, the one time they did, they didn't do that owing to budget cutbacks and having lost interest in us. Uh, they sent us to Switzerland, and all of that ensued with Pascal and Zubek down nervous, and and the the waiter ending up doing it. Um, and so after we left EMI, we thought it prudent, to quote Gordon Brown, um, to um, take a promo person with us in the hope of alleviating at least the, the chaos that might ensue. And so we hired in an independent promo guy. Um, his real name is Paul Bultitude, but he calls himself Lord B. Um and he looked, he used to be the drummer in Mary Wilson's band. I All right. Got just what I always wanted. That was her, wasn't it? With the beehive hair. Yep. And Big I hat. think Lord B used to play drums and, and then he'd stop playing drums and now he, he does independent promo. And he does independent promo for a number of people. Um, he'd worked with the Bee Gees a lot and he'd worked with Ronan Keating a lot. Um, and uh, I, I once ended up in the back of a limo with uh, Robin Gibb from the Bee Gees because, he, because we'd been to London to some kind of a launch of uh, Make Poverty History when they were launching that, when, when yeah. uh, Bob Geldof was launching that. And um, Rob, Robin Gibb was there. And he was getting in a limo to go back to Tame, which is where he was living at the time. And Lord B said, "Oh, you should jump in with him and just get his um, ask his ask his chauffeur to carry on down the road and drop you off." So they did. So I sat in the back of a car with Robin and nattered all the way back about John Lennon and people like that who Robin just knew like mates. Mm. Um, so that was quite fascinating. He was very thin. He was extremely thin, Robin Gibb. Um, anyway, where was it? So, yeah, so we had, we had this independent promo guy called Lord B. And um, he used to take us, when we went out to Europe or wherever, he used to take us and do the interviews. Hmm. Um, and he was quite a character. I mean, he, he, he sort of made a... He, he made a, an, an attempt to look like aristocracy. He used to wear a cravat... And so ever, no one was quite sure whether he was a lord or wasn't. Um, <laughs> and um, and so he would swan around Europe, you know, and introducing himself as Lord B. <laughs> and, and we ended up with all of these private jokes, me, uh, me and Paul, because, um, you know, just strange things would happen. There, there was one particular... One particular day, Mark, Mark Kelly and I were doing some interviews in, in Warsaw, in a big hotel in Warsaw. And uh, we, we were sitting in this um, sort of up, upstairs mezzanine kind of conference room. And it was very cold. And so um, at one point I, I said to Lord B, could you just ask, um, there was somebody from a hotel hovering about, I said, could you just ask him if, we could, if he could turn the, the, the air conditioning down? It's very cold in here. And so Lord B, B said to this guy, excuse me, is it, would it be possible to turn the, the air conditioning, you know, warmer? 
And this Polish guy said, yes, in the beginning, it was a blue building. <laughs> and, um, and he obviously didn't speak English quite as well as he thought he did. And, and so that became a running gag. We always used to say, yes, in the beginning. I think it was a blue building. Um, and um, on another occasion, um, we, were in, we were in Italy <laughs> and we, we, we'd flown it. I think we'd be, oh, oh, God, was that when I was really sick? Oh, that, yeah, that, that, I was sick in Berlusconi's garden. That's probably what you couldn't read in your. It notes. is. That's exactly what I can't read. I, I was. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. This was another promo trip where we'd started off in Paris, and uh, we'd had oysters in Paris, and I'd had a bad one. And oh my Gideon. And we flew to um, Madrid, I think, which is where I met the girl, the girl whose mother lived next door to David Beckham. Uh, that's another story, um, and. Um, <laughs> anyway, was, I woke. I woke up in Madrid in the most appalling condition, <laughs> and uh, I'd got I'd got sickness and diarrhea in the most acute sort of fashion from this um, oyster, and I made a right mess. Um, and uh, and I still had to go and do a load of interviews. You know, we, we were sort of going around Madrid um, doing doing interviews. With this, with this girl whose mother lived next door to David Beckham, um, and because he used to play for Real Madrid at the time, and so I got a bit of inside, inside knowledge into the kind of jolly japes that went on with the Madrid footballers, which I can't even go public on, but <laughs> believe me. Um, anyway, so. Um, where were we? All of that, and then and then we I did the interviews and in Spain and then we flew to Milan and I can't remember if this was the time can't have been can't have been that time must have been another time but on one particular occasion we then went to we then went to Italy for a launch party it might have been a brave to be honest it might have been or marbles it might have been marbles anyway I can't remember but I was so sick and I was doing all of the on and off planes and doing these interviews and feeling hellish and we we ended up in this minibus uh, in the outskirts of Milan, and it, and I just said stop the bus, and they stopped the bus, and I got out, and I sort of launched myself over this gate, and Lord B launched himself over the gate behind me, trying to work out what I was doing, and he said he'd never seen anybody be so sick in his life. He said it was unreal. It was like someone had. Released a huge valve. <laughs> uh, he said, "I've never seen anyone vomit like that." And it turned out it, we were in uh, Balasconi's garden, <laughs> and so <laughs> he 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 always maintained massive kudos uh, for me having having vomited in in Silvio Balasconi's garden because somebody had to, um, <laughs> and I did. Um, and the other thing uh, Lord B used to do, he, he told me, I, oddly enough, and you you might be able to relate to this, he told me I I, I talk far too much, and that, that that when I'm being interviewed, my answers are typically ten minutes longer than they need to be, um, and so he used to hover about behind journalists who were interviewing me, 
and he would hold up, he would draw a big rabbit on an a, on a piece of A4 and he would hold it up like that behind the journalist so I could see it but the journalist couldn't when I was going on and on and then he'd bring it, slowly bring it down again <laughs> to see if he could get me on to the next question. So he was he was quite good in that way. And then on another occasion we, we, we were in uh, Italy together and I think we'd flown into Milan that day and, and I, I, well, I, that wasn't when I was ill with the bad oyster. That must have been another occasion. And uh, we, we kind of came off the... We kind of came off the the roundabout by the by the airport and had headed down the freeway. And the first sign of the freeway that that we saw was to a place called Busto Arsizio, um, which caused considerable schoolboy mirth. Um, and so again, you know, whenever I speak to him or communicate with him, which I still do occasionally, all these things come out, you know, and. And there was another one. We went. We went to some place in Italy to, to do a radio interview, and we arrived mid-afternoon, starving, hungry. There was nowhere to eat, and, and we found this little, little restaurant in this little town. Um, and we went in, and we said, um, "Hello, do you have a menu?" And the guy went, "Nah, we got lasagna," and that became a that that became a thing as well. <laughs> And even now, you know, when I go out, when I go out to restaurants and ask for a menu, nah, we got lasagna, uh, zips through my head briefly. You know, <laughs> it becomes part of the question. Um, and so, Lord B and I communicate usually once or twice a year, and you know, because he's still doing it. He's still, I think he he still he flies all over the world with Ronan Keating. Um, it was very nice. I met Ronan, and he's he's a nice guy. You know, he's he's got he's got no pretensions about being a serious artist. He kind of knows that he's showbiz, um, and uh, you know, and he's very good at what he does, and he does his thing, you know. Um, and Lord B looks after him. So there we are. That's that's Lord B, and um, the, uh, the another interesting side about Lord B is that he calls his wife Lady B. And he calls his daughter, who's called, uh, her name begins with a B, and he calls her B minor. <laughs> I like B minor. I like Lady B, actually. <laughs> Whenever he refers to his wife, he refers to his Lady B. <laughs> and B minor. I went on holiday with Lady B and B minor recently. <laughs> And he wears a little cravat, you know, and all of that. I, so, I, I do like a cravat. Yeah. I, I do like a cravat. It's a, it's a stylish thing. Does he like a, a sort of slightly ruffled cuff as well? <laughs> no, he doesn't go to those excesses. Does I, he not? I think you'll find your proper posh folk don't do the ruffled cuff. Not Does since not? the 17th century anyway. Oh. But, I mean, I like a ruffled cuff, obviously. I, Yeah, I was going to say, I bet you the, like a ruffled cuff, don't you? The, the Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen side of me yeah. comes out. You know, occasionally, uh, yeah. the um, what would you call that? The um, yeah, well, him anyway, Lawrence yes. Llewellyn Bowell, as I. As <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, we shouldn't upset Lawrence. <laughs> we shouldn't. Up, that that's a whole demographic we don't want to annoy. I always think of him as Bowell. Honestly, I'm on the on the telly. 
<laughs> well, I'm, I'm pleased you've told us a little bit about Lord B. Do, do, are we going to bump into Lord B in the diary? Uh, we might do at some point. I, you know, he was part of he was part of all of it at one stage. Mm. Um, he used to, you know, he used to groove around with us. And, uh, but that was post EMI. We we had no need for him until after we left EMI, and then uh, yeah, I think the Marbles album was he was definitely looking after us at that point uh, with his little rabbit sign and his cravat and. All of that. So who takes care of that stuff now? He held the back of my hair as well when I was vomiting into Bella's skin. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's something a proper mate does, that. that. That was above and beyond what he was yeah. being paid for, to be honest. Yeah, that's well, a proper <laughs> mate's thing, that. <laughs> Although he did speak fondly of it afterwards, as though it was quite something of an occasion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he said he'd never seen anyone be quite that sick. He's, he's lucky he wasn't at the other end a couple of days earlier, to be honest. <laughs> I thought to myself, well, we've avoided that. We've not gone there, but... <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, sorry, what were you saying? I was saying, who, who, does, who takes care of that now? Who does the Lord B stuff now? The promo. Um, that is a very, very good question. We don't do as... I mean, I honestly can't remember. It seems like 10 years since we we released anything... Um, but last time when we did the Fear album, did anyone come with us? I don't think they send anyone with us now. I think they oh. just leave us to our own devices. And, and you know, you can do a lot of stuff with Zoom now, can't you? Save yeah. yourself a fortune. You don't really have to get on planes. Although there are a lot of journalists who won't interview you unless you go on your own uh, with them. Because they they like the idea of hanging out with the with, with the, the rock mu- with the muso, yeah, yeah, and for the same reason, uh, I you know I, most most musicians and probably ac- actors and actresses too will tell you that it would be so much simpler if they could just do press conferences, because the alternative to press conferences is is. 35 interviews in a row where people file in and out and ask you the same bloody question you know and then you you only need to answer it once so you're better off almost doing a a conference where they ask you the really unimaginative bog standard questions you know when's it coming out what's it about what you know why did you write it um you know how did it feel stepping into such large shoes? I get that one. You know, I still bloody get that one 30 years later. I don't bloody know. I can't remember. It was 30 years ago. You know, what were you doing? Th- whose shoes were you wearing 30 years ago, mate? Um, but, I, you know, then they, they could ask you all them dumb questions and you could get them out of the way. And then you could give everybody sort of five minutes each to actually ask you something intelligent that perhaps only you could answer, something that they couldn't just read on the internet. Um, you know, if you were in a good enough mood to tell them, would be quite <laughs> handy. Uh, anyway, so... What, what, how did I where get where were we? What were we oh, talking yeah, about? Oh, yeah, you asked me if, if Lord B still does... I mean, I can imagine working with him again quite, quite easily. I think that could well happen because he's good at what he does. Um, but you know, it all costs money, mm. and it's it's usually just about do you, do you, do you have 
you need you know you need a record label picking those bills up because as a band we're far too tight to go spending money on getting ourselves publicity <laughs> we didn't get where we are we didn't get to this position this unique position of obscurity yeah. uh, by by spending a lot of money trust me it's taken 30 years to get, to get this level of fame. <laughs> 30 years of not getting the wallet out exactly. to, uh, to achieve this level of, uh, of nobody knowing no who, who we are and thinking we split up 20 years yeah. ago. Yes. Um, do you know what? We, we, we've had odd little conversations, haven't we, about whether TCD would make a little, a little you know, event that you could actually rent a little theatre and you could invite people down and you could do TCD live. And we have had, you know odd conversations about whether that would work if we if it was possible we ought to get lord b in on it just say look come out for a giggle there's no money right. clearly but just come out for a giggle come out for a giggle and you could hold the rabbit sign up periodically yeah. when me yeah. when you and me got going yeah, yeah. shut us up move on to the next subject please i think could, that would work he could make lasagna in the background he could, he could make like lasagna. a stove bubbling Oh, this is starting to come together. And people could come and say what's on the menu to him. We could, we could have a kind of buxom assistant called Busto Arsazio who could yes. wander on periodically yeah. Yeah. with drinks. Yes. And then just a little bit of little bit of hedge and a picture of Berlusconi's garden and you could just, you know, have, have, a, have a crack of vomiting over the hedge. Keep popping over the, over the hedge between tequilas. Yes. yes. I think this is all coming together. Yeah. Right. We, we, we need to work on that. We need to, let's, put, let's put a, a session dream. in. I don't know about anything else. Oh, I think, do you know what? I think the Purples would go for that. I think they'd come out in their droves <laughs> for that. It sounds, like, it sounds like end of the world entertainment. It really does. Oh, yeah. right. Well, we, we better get on yeah. and do a bit of diary because we've been nattering on for the thick end of half an hour. Um... And um, America, and I think one of our stories is going to catch up on itself. You've you've mentioned a little bit about being stopped by the police. Have I? Yes, and having to do various things to prove down that the you line, were sober. Yeah, yeah. The, the, on the end of the nose, yeah, and they're yeah. standing with the leg out. Yes. Fortunately, I think... I'm very good at that. I can stand on one leg. I've been able to stand on one leg for ages since I was a kid. Yeah. And, 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 you know, no matter how much I've had to drink, uh, fortunately, um, it must be really dull for the police when they actually pull up a functioning alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> he was so cool, that policeman. He was lovely, you know, because the, the American police get a lot of bad press, don't they? Yeah. Um, but I was a nightmare. I mean, I couldn't have been less cooperative, not, not because I was being difficult, just because. <laughs> All I could say was no to all his yeah. questions, except have you been drinking? Which I said yes, yes. to. And um and and nonetheless, he was he was he was very chilled. At no point did he draw a weapon <laughs> or even threaten to. And then and then he, he, he took us back to the hotel. He said, Follow me, and he took us back to the holiday inn, because I was halfway up a mountain at this point and totally <laughs> lost. And Trevor was unconscious the whole time in the, in the passenger seat next to me. I mean, he did he did lean in to check he wasn't dead. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's a it's a lovely section of diary as everybody's going to hear but i i've been watching a lot of big bang theory lately and when you went through the questions i thought oh he's answering like sheldon cooper he's just, just got, got that kind of vibe about him well, of course of course i've been drinking oh. so so that's part of the diary and a couple of other little treats in there that we won't we won't give away um, the so girl, the girl uh, in the red sports car. I said, I said we weren't going to give that away. I haven't. I've, that's all, right. all I'm saying. All right, all right, all right, all right. Fine, that's fine. Well, be- in which case, beautifully teed up then. Yes. Consummate professional. The Grand Canyon. The <laughs> yeah. two are not connected. No, no. The Grand Canyon, whatever. <laughs> right. Um, um, so I'll, 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 I'll let you take over then from here on in. Yes, this is um, all. This is all true, folks. What's coming yes. up right now? I, I, I'd forgotten most of it, but my no. goodness, all true. Yeah, none of it embellished to sell a few copies. Yes, it, we we must have gone through a brief period of being properly rock and roll, and I think I think this was it. Right. In which case, that one section of Marillion being properly rock and roll is coming for you. Brace yourselves. Friday, 10th of April. St. Louis, Boulder, day off. The drive to Boulder took most of the day and we eventually arrived at the Holiday Inn around five in the afternoon. I was on a mission to buy a guitar, so I took the keys to the car which Ian and Steve had hired and set off in search of the town with Wes and Jack. Didn't find much in the way of guitars, but discovered Boulder to be probably my favourite town in the USA so far. The town centre is a bit like Covent Garden with mountains. There were flower beds full of tulips alongside the pavements and street cafes with tables outside in the sunshine. Had a spot of tea with Wes and Jack and returned to the hotel. Regrouped and showered and returned to town to do the bars. Ended up getting separated from the crowd, along with Trevor. He and I scoured the town for adventure and visited at least half a dozen bars and clubs. Ended up in the Fox Theatre, where there was a reggae band playing. Fortunately, I hadn't finished any of my drinks because I was stopped by the police driving back to the Holiday Inn at 1.45am after shooting several red flashing lights. I was under the impression that you can drive through them if they're flashing. This is only half true. You're supposed to stop, check nothing's coming and proceed. This is actually a much more sensible system than in England where the lights still turn red in the middle of the night and you must stop and wait until they turn green. Unfortunately, Trevor had finished every single one of his drinks and probably a few other people's drinks too because he had passed out in the passenger seat next to me. Well, from here on, the evening developed like this. First of all, what looked like the Blackpool illuminations went off in my rear-view mirror. American police cars carry a lot of coloured lights on the roof. I pulled over to the side of the road, got out of the car and began to walk back to the waiting police car. That didn't go down well for a start. In America, you're supposed to wait for them to come to you. The officer leaned out of the car and shouted, Get back in the car! I did so, 
When he ambled up to my side window, I was impressed by the mass of paraphernalia hanging from his belt. Gun, some kind of stick, club thing, big torch, and various other objects I couldn't quite define. He was certainly tooled up. Policeman. Is this your car, sir? Me. No, no, it's hired. Policeman. Did you know you just drove straight through three red lights? Me. Yes, I thought that was okay. Policeman. No, it isn't. Can I see your driver's license? Me. No, I don't have it with me. Policeman. Let me see your ID, sir. Me. Um, I'm English. We don't carry ID. Policeman. A passport? Me. I can show it to you, no problem, but I'm afraid it's at the Holiday Inn. The policeman had a long look at Trevor, head back, sleeping peacefully, mouth open, amid a mane of long hair, and having decided he wasn't dead, sighed and continued. Could I see the rental papers, please, sir? Me, um, I'm not sure what happened to them. I didn't rent the car myself. Policeman. Have you been drinking, sir? Me. Yes. Policeman. How much would you say you've had to drink? Me. A couple of beers. Policeman. Do you mean one, two or three beers? Me. Two beers. Policeman. What is your name? Me. Steve Hogarth. Actually, it doesn't say that on my passport. Policeman. Get out of the car, sir. I can see you've been drinking, and I intend to give you the standard drink driving test. The state of Colorado views drunk driving very seriously. It's a felony. This is a voluntary test, but in the event that you fail any part of it, I will arrest you. Me. Okay, let's do it. Well, he then had me walk along a line which he drew with chalk on the pavement, touching the end of my nose with my middle finger with my eyes closed, and then standing on one leg with the other outstretched while counting slowly to twenty. Fortunately, I managed all this without any difficulty, and he told me I was free to go. I asked him the way to the Holiday Inn, because at the point in the journey he'd pulled us over, I was quite lost. He instructed me to follow him and he drove back to the Holiday Inn. Marvellous. What a nice guy. I was surprised he was so civil to me, all things considered. That's a glowing review from me for the Colorado police. I got back into my room at 3am, having chaperoned sleepy Trev into the building. Phone Dizzy to tell her all about it. Saturday, 11th of April, Boulder, Colorado, Fox Theatre. Last night I was recommended a restaurant called Nancy's, which is an old house with a fab attitude and the place to have breakfast in Boulder. Went there with Alan Parker. Very nice. Stripped pine and great wallpaper. Quite English in a way. Great menu. Got talking to a Russian who was in Boulder on an exchange scheme. 
he says he's an agricultural economist. Invited him and his girlfriend to the show. He said he'd get his boss to milk the cows. Dropped Alan P at the gig and went to a guitar shop. Decided I'd like a purple Les Paul. Went back later with Steve R, Jack and Pete and decided, on balance, to leave it till LA. Sound check went okay. My sound was a bit ringy. The centre mic position was underneath some flown PA cabinets. Yuck. Back at the hotel, a sorority party was in full swing. Lots of conservative young missies with their middle-class mums having a real nice, wholesome time. A cappella singing from Ivy League clean-cut guys had them mesmerised. I bubbled around in the hot tub and looked on, fascinated and a little bit saddened by what looked, once again, like a scene from The Graduate. How anyone can live like this after JFK and Lennon beats me. Does that make me strange? Back to the show. Totally brilliant audience response. The best since Montreal. I want to come here again. Signed the dressing room ceiling, returned to the hotel, showered up, checked out, got on the bus for the long drive to LA, via the desert and the Grand Canyon. Mike, our bus driver from Nashville, Tennessee, told me that this drive was heading through some amazing scenery, so I asked him to give me a shout in the morning if I was missing anything. Sunday, 12th of April. Colorado, Grand Canyon. Day off. Was stirred by Mike at 8am. You wanted to see scenery? Well, there's a whole bunch of it out there right now, he said. I rolled out of bed and went to the lounge to have a look. Outside, through the glass, was the spectacular red landscape of the Colorado desert. Tall pillars of red sandstone rising from a red eroded lunar surface. It took until around 4.30 in the afternoon, driving through such stunning scenery and taking photographs, until we arrived at the Grand Canyon. Perhaps I'd heard too much hype. Perhaps I'd already seen the pictures, but I wasn't as awestruck as I expected and hoped to be. It is big. It is impressive and, in its own way, beautiful. But it was somehow less magical and less earthly than I had expected. We hung around in the pleasant afternoon sunlight, but I was thinking mainly of getting back on the bus and sleeping. The tour was, by now, taking its toll on me, and I was fast becoming a boring bastard. Slept and no doubt missed more spectacular scenery until we stopped at a small town called Flagstaff. I showered at a motel before going out with the chaps for a spot of dinner at a local bar, Bun Huggers. Returned to the motel to phone South Africa and wish Fifi a happy birthday. Back onto the bus to sleep our way to L.A. Monday, 13th of April, The Road, Los Angeles, day off. Happy birthday, my sweetheart. Spent most of the day on the freeway driving the seemingly endless straight line to Los Angeles. I think this is Route 66. Listening to Nothing Like the Sun by Sting and Out of Time by R.E.M. I had acquired them at the record store in Grand Rapids. 
This part of the journey was memorable for the commotion which suddenly sprung up among the crew in the bus lounge. I rolled out of my bunk to find out what was going on. Alongside our obviously rock and roll tour bus, they're all airbrushed here with rock and roll imagery, so there's no mistaking them for anything else, was a girl driving in a little red convertible. She'd obviously made eye contact with one of the boys and decided to treat one and all to a show. She was driving along without her top on. Mike, the driver, was whooping and hollering and accelerating to overtake her for another glimpse of her breasts. There she was, grinning away. She later overtook the bus, wearing absolutely nothing. Ah, California girls. Don't get that in Yorkshire. Eventually arrived at Hotel Le Rêve in Hollywood at about five in the evening. Discovered Steve Carras from IRS in the room next door and he invited me in for a bourbon while he filled me in on who'd been fired at IRS. Apparently Barbara Bolan had wept buckets while wielding the axe. I continued to respect her more and more. Steve invited me out to dinner with a manager friend whose name escapes me and we ate Italian on Sunset Boulevard. Later in the evening, I bumped into Wes, who dragged me, kicking and screaming, ha-ha, off to a club called Black and Blue, I think, where I leaned against the bar and got chewing gum all over my jacket. And we're back. Um, I don't know why that makes you smile. I'm thinking of the T-shirt now. Well, yeah, you've had a, somebody sent a T-shirt idea, in, didn't they? Yeah, I should name check him. Shall I see if I can find out who he is? Go, go on then. Hang on go on minute. then. I... It's going to take me ten minutes isn't it, to find this. Well, one. no, you'll uh, get there. Right. I just. Uh, blah, 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 doo, doo, doo. Well, who was it? Who was it? Who was it? It was. Uh, it... it wasn't. No, it wasn't him. No. Uh, was it was it him? Yeah, Justin Beanie uh, wrote to me this morning and said, perhaps we should have a T-shirt with, now we're front on the front and now we're back on the back, which I thought was quite amusing. <laughs> it is quite a good idea, actually. <laughs> actually, on the subject of merch, <laughs> Pete, Pete uh, who I think he'll forever be known as Pete Bookmark Witcher, if it was Pete who suggested the bookmark, which I think it was. Oh, Okay. Um, you've 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 only gone out and found a bookmark, haven't you? I've been looking. Yeah, I've been looking at leather embossed bookmarks. To be honest, yeah, no less of a purple colour, which could be good, but they're quite expensive. But oh, um, right. you know, we can't just give 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 our purple members a load of crap, can we? we no, of course we could not. At least, uh, well, because they'll tell us. They're quite. They will. We'll <laughs> get abuse. We will get abuse. <laughs> so we, What's this shit? Yeah. <laughs> Who do you think we are? Yes. So yes, yeah. I've, I'm so I'm I'm working on I'm, I'm working on it all, and the, I've got samples of the um, the lapel pins coming hopefully this week that I can have a look at. Oh. Oh, so it's all going on. Right. Well, anyway, we're back with back from diary, and I'm not going to ask you about the two big stories in the diary because hmm. um, we've talked a little bit about one of them, and I'm going to leave the other one exactly where it is because I don't really think it needs expanding on. No. Uh, Really, uh, this is a family show after all. Yes, that's um, forgotten. Yes, but the one thing I am going to pick up on 
is because it's it kind of chimes with something that I'm doing at the moment is that you talk about listening to a Sting album and also listening to Out of Time by R.E.M. And I've been listening to Out of Time and Automatic for the People loads recently. And mm. I think R.E.M. are a great band. And I don't understand why people don't, don't rate them. Well, I've always rated them. I mean, I, I really rate Michael Stipe as, a, as an artist, you know, and as a singer and a lyricist. I think he's great. And... Um, I love the fact that he's usually got a vibe going of some description, you know, whether it's because he's put glitter on his eyelids or, or you know, whatever, or, or because he's deliberately chosen the most colourful in, in ears, you know, that he could find rather than going for the kind of flesh-coloured ones. You know, he usually has these burp ones. Um, I just like the vibe of the guy. And, and I went, when we were in... Um, Hook End Manor, um, back in 89, recorded Season's End, you used to be able to requisition one of the studio vehicles. Um, and so I did. And went to Wembley Arena um, to see R.E.M. one night. Um, so I, I saw them back then. And he reminded me of myself, which it might seem like an odd thing to say. But he had a freedom as a as a you know on sta on stage, you know, and he felt like he you felt like he felt he could do anything, and 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 he kind of approached the show in that way, and he would think nothing of lying down on the stage, um, or uh, or upending a couple of um, wedge monitor speakers and 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 standing on them and singing a song stood on an upended wedge and I'd been doing stuff like that for years and I thought that's kind of interesting that he's he's kind of got that that vibe that that sort of free kind of thing the way you don't quite know what he's going to do next and that that was I've, I thought that was a bit spooky I like him a lot great band Peter Buck mm. great guitarist so yeah a lot of time for R.E.M. Do you think there's any any sort of um, parallels between REM and the uh, the band you put together for Ice Cream Genius? Well, not not deliberately. No, uh, no, I wasn't suggesting that. But I mean, just set as as a piece of serendipity. Thinking about Dave Greggs, yeah, how he plays that kind of style. Yeah, Greggs has got that big jangly Rickenbacker thing, totally nailed. Um, you know, I tend to think of him and Jimmy Scott from the Pretenders, um, you know, and the guy from the Birds as 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 being the Rickenbacker, uh, you know, the jangly twelve string Rickenbacker people. Mm. Uh, but Peter Peter Buck's got got a bit of that about him as well, hasn't he? He's he's yeah. a really, really good guitarist. Maybe there is. I don't know. It certainly wasn't deliberate. No, but I mean, also things like if you think about say you dinosaur thing as a as a tune that's got there's there's bits of that bits of that that are a bit you know yeah you yeah, can see I, a parallel there I can't I can't imagine where I got you dinosaur thing I mean I'm just, I mean you it, ly lyrically it was just about that realization that yeah. I'd, I'd become an old rocker yeah you know and I'd always thought of myself as a a young enfant terrible uh, uh, up mm. to that point. And but you can only be a young enfant terrible if if you're young. 
You cannot stay young. The only way you can stay young is to, is to die young. Uh, so if you don't die young, you're condemned to getting old. Uh, and, and so really, um, I guess I was... I, I wrote you dinosaur thing myself on guitar, uh, which is why it's so simple because it's only three, three or four chords. I think Dave put a couple of extra chords in when he got hold of it and so now I can't play it. Uh, which is a shame. <laughs> I play the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of not being able to play your own song. It's dreadful. Oh, dear. Right, okay. Well, fine. All right. Well, <clears throat> right, do you know piano, what? It doesn't work on the piano, does it? Does it not work on the piano? Well, not really. I mean, have you, you, know. have you done it as a, as a natural? I don't thing? think I've ever banged through it on the piano, no. Maybe, well, are, maybe this Christmas down at St John's, I'll, I'll have a you dinosaur thing moment. Would it would it work for a Chromecast? <laughs> <laughs> oh, setting your challenge now. I'll have a go. I'll have right. a go because I have run out of Chromecast tunes. I even sang that in the Chromecast last <laughs> time. <laughs> I've now run out of Chromecast tunes. Um, so maybe I could. Yeah, I'll try a you dinosaur thing. You bastard. on the Chromecast. My life's not easy as it is. Without, without the likes of you, short coming along and <laughs> suggesting yes, I play things I can't play. Yes, yes. But you, you said we were talking the other day, and you said, "Oh, we've had a good year. We've not fallen out yet." <laughs> no, what you and <laughs> no. I, we've yeah. no reason to fall out ever. No, no. Well, I think I keep suggesting ridiculous things. You might. <laughs> you not know who I am. No, I think it's a good suggestion. I think it's right. it'll push me outside my comfort envelope. Right, your comfort envelope. <laughs> <laughs> my padded bag. That sounds like something you take around with you. It's just me and my comfort envelope. <laughs> me and my jiffy bag. Oh, uh, I think we perhaps ought to stop there because uh, there's a, there's a rabbit a rabbit sign just got up behind uh, your yeah, head. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you never know right. where he might be lurking. Well, no, no, I've not. No, and of course, I'm looking for a ruffled cuff, and you know that that would be bad. Yes. So, uh, right. Well, we 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 need to go anyway because we've got to start doing the uh, the purple Q and A. Got to do the guest book Q and A for October. God. So I've got a whole load of questions for you. So you're we're, you're not getting off this lightly. We've got to carry on going. We're grafters, aren't we? We are. We are. Oh. We've done. We've we've done nearly a solid hour this morning. Oh. It's. <laughs> <laughs> Darling, I'm exhausted. I can't possibly do a Q and A. I'm being talking I'm being, for an hour. I'm being sent pictures on Facebook of lobster bibs now. <laughs> are you? I'll, yeah. I'll do forward them on. I'll, I'll forward them on. I'll ping. It was Paul actually. Um, I'll I'll ping it on. Right. Um, folks, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Uh, hope you enjoyed 25. Uh, we're still having a blast, aren't we? This is uh, quite a pleasant way of spending some time. Yeah, every day we start this and I think we, we must have run out of stuff to talk about and I worry about it, you know, and then, and then we get started and, and I don't know. You feel well, like this could go on for years. Well, it could because every time we finish an episode, literally the first thing is you go off mic and then you say, oh, did I tell you about the time when? Yeah. Yeah, you know, true. me, Margaret Thatcher, David Attenborough and the Pope. <laughs> Walked on the moon. 
<laughs> or, or whatever it happens to be. <laughs> Sounds like the first line of a limerick. <laughs> right. Um, we'll we'll speak to you all next time. Um, thanks for caring, and uh, and we better crack on and do the Q and A. Yes, we should. We should. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's been lovely. It Twenty-five has. long, successful episodes. <laughs> I don't know if those two words go together. <laughs> They've all been long. After twenty-five long episodes. Yes, we're gonna. I'm gonna. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, V. Davis and Leon Van Oosten, Todd Jonathan Worthington and Ung Veselan. It's good to be Purple John Arnold. Oh, I forgot that. And Virginia Bradbury. And Christian Randall. And Dave Ryan. That's all for now. Retros out, jumbles in your dinosaur things. <laughs> Afros out, boneheads in your dinosaur thing. Help us out, rag it all in your dinosaur thing. I'm only doing this for Ant Cause he dared me to do it Said I couldn't play it I think he was right You always seem so beautiful and Like you fell out of bed Which is you true and though they all dream of you though they all scream for you and though they all listen to you Well, you get the drift. Thank you for being purple, everybody. If I've forgotten you, do send me something. A reminder, that's what I mean. Do send me a reminder. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you.
This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>